0: Welcome to Unlocking Brand, a part of our Siegel and Gale podcast series. Here, our global brand experts host live case studies, deliver actionable insights, and answer key questions on the topics that matter to brand marketers today. In this episode, Jennifer Temple, EVP, Chief Communications Officer, and Rachel Fairley, Global VP, Brand Marketing and Experience from Hewlett Packard Enterprise, Join our co-CEO and Chief Creative Officer, Howard Belk, and Managing Director of Strategy, Matt Egan, for an in-depth conversation exploring how a brand can drive change forward.
1: Hello, everyone. Welcome to Siegel & Gale's Unlocking Brand. This is our virtual event series. Today, I'm really thrilled because Matt and I are joined by friends, Jennifer and Rachel, who are... Long time, we, we partnered with them and, and Hewlett-Packard Enterprise for a long, long time. Jennifer Temple is the Executive Vice President and Chief Communications Officer. And Rachel Fairley is Global Vice President, Brand Marketing and Experience, both at Hewlett-Packard Enterprise. And the three of us are joined by Matt Egan, Managing Director of Strategy out of Siegel and Gales, New York office. And we're going to have an in-depth conversation that explores how a brand can drive change forward. Now, this should be a really interesting um, topic for anyone who has um, embarked on a a major rebrand and imagined the future, tried to imagine the future. What's that gonna be like? What's going to emerge? How do do we handle all the change that's about to happen? Because we're talking today about uh, the creation of the Hewlett Packard Enterprise brand, which really um, came into being about five years ago. Um, and Jennifer and Rachel and their colleague Jim Jackson and a, and a whole team of phenomenal people around them took the reins from Meg Whitman, one of the iconic CEOs, a real visionary, and Henry Gomez and Susan Popper and Marissa Freeman a number of years ago, quite a while ago, and took this brand forward. I really managed uh, enormous growth at Hewlett Packard Enterprise, established a brand new name brand. Um, used that brand to enrich the culture and really sort of walk the the very fine line between harnessing legacy, tradition, reputation, brand, equity, um, at the same time, imbuing this, at the time, a $50 billion company with a startup culture. So it's a phenomenal story, a phenomenal feat and I'm really excited um, to be joined by this crew, uh, Jennifer and, and Rachel, and and Matt Egan. Incidentally, his first day at Siegel and Gale was he had to jump on a plane, fly to Las Vegas for the the major customer event for Hewlett Packard, and talk about a deep immersion. He was up to his eyebrows in it from day one. He actually had hair back then, ten years ago. Listen. This team is we were just talking a little before this webcast and Rachel said, you know, I'm most excited about the Q&A that's going to come. So I, I really encourage you on behalf of this um, group of panelists who are all really experienced, smart and wonderful people. Shoot. You know, if you have questions about what's it like to manage something, you know, this big, um, this important uh, and, and, and what to anticipate and how to manage all that. Shoot the questions in, a, in our Q&A channel. So with that, I'm gonna start. So let's begin talking about the the split. So Matt, we're gonna go to you first. You you were the strategy lead um, from Siegel & Gale as Hewlett Packard Enterprise was created. So what were the objectives of launching this brand? Sure,
2: I think it was, you know very intertwined with launching launching the business i mean it was a very large initiative i think you know it was no secret that at the time really before meg whitman took the reins of hp the business was under a fair amount of pressure um really up until the separation on the one hand legacy hp was a really strong business of uh, one of the founders of silicon valley you know global customer base really deep partnerships with customers all over the world uh, really indispensable to so many businesses and, and it was huge. It was a over $110 billion enterprise. So very powerful, but also under pressure. I mean, there was a view in the media um, and fear that, you know, HP at the time maybe was losing a little bit of its luster. It wasn't really seen as the engine of innovation that had been for so many years. Um, perhaps too much focus on acquisition versus kind of organic growth. Uh, maybe it was so diverse that it was a, just a difficult company to understand selling everything from... Ninety-nine dollar handsets to multi-million-dollar, you know, enterprise services contracts, and, and candidly, it was so big, maybe it was hard, 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 to kind of grow that top line. And so, you know, there's a lot of downward pressure in the business at the time um, on leadership, and frankly, on the hundreds of thousands of employees, uh, all many, many very talented and productive employees across the globe. So, you know, when the split was announced, I think our challenge was to help reinvigorate HP Inc. and then build this brand new brand for Hewlett Packard Enterprise from scratch. Um, and, and you know create a sense of belief in the enterprise business, um, give confidence to employees, to customers, to Wall Street that this new company would be focused to be capable be fit for growth. And then I think you know to your question on objectives for the brand, it was around defining a purpose, a promise, an identity and an experience for the new Hewlett-Packard enterprise. And we really were focused on three big questions. Who is HPE? You know, who is this company? Uh, What unique value does it it provide to customers and partners? And then really importantly, how would this company be different from competitors and from legacy HP?
1: Nice, 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 yeah. So listen, let's start with the name. So what went into that decision to retain the Hewlett Packard name? We often run into this at Siegel and Gale where there's a split and it seems like splits are all the rage the last several years. Mm -hmm. And this issue for the spin codes, let's call them, Geez, what do we do with this parent name, especially in the case um, like Hewlett Packard, where it's so iconic? So here we are seven years later. Um, what went into that name first? Sure.
2: Well, I think this was, from our view, a bit unusual. And, you know, we work on a lot of M&A transactions, a lot of spinoffs. And, you know, very often companies are careful and in, in, in not announcing a name at the time of the launch and that that's a decision that will be made in this case. Um. At the time, the the announcement of the split or separation was made. The name of the company was announced as well. So it was announced that there would be two companies: HP Inc. and Hewlett Packard Enterprise. Um, it's something that um, Meg Whitman, uh, CMO at the time, Henry Gomez, and the board had 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 decided on. Uh, I would say, you know, just as part of our due diligence, we <laughs> uh, interrogated and investigated that decision and really considered carefully um, was that the right approach. Um, uh we explored different naming paths and ultimately decided that that was the right approach, that these are two cus- uh, companies that would be focused on the technology space. Um, that sort of core equity and strength of HP really just couldn't be replicated uh, by creating a new name and a net new brand for HPE.
1: Got it. Yeah. So, Rachel, let me let me throw it to you. So you've had to manage this brand with the new name and also deal with the complexity that could arise from the other Hewlett Packard. So. You know, seven years later, was it the right decision? What have you learned about that?
3: Yeah, it's definitely the right decision. I mean, you know, in brands, the origin story is so important. That sense of where you began and the strength of the HP part of the HPE is just enormous. I mean, we can see from the data that it's what drives consideration. It's what makes people feel that they are dealing with a very trustworthy and secure brand um you know this brand's lived a long time right this is i think that's what's so interesting when you've got a brand that's 80 years old and you're trying to sort of give it you know the 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 energy to to keep going for another 80 years and to be just as successful you talked about reinvigorating just very aware that you know you come into these jobs and you do them for a period of time but you you're standing on the shoulders of giants i mean you know just extraordinary how much work has gone before and how you're you're just refining and refining and refining um and what i love is that when you ask customers um what the name of the company is and then when they're talking to you they just switch between hp and hpe because to them it doesn't really matter they know what you do they just to them it's just a you know it's like an acronym a name it's sort of so yeah i think it's i think it's absolutely fantastic and i i um it's quite amazing to be part of something that is basically an entrepreneurial brand that is 80 years old. I mean, I don't know many 80 year old entrepreneurs. I, I know there are some, but I was checking in with my predecessor, um, Marissa, uh, last night, because I was saying to her, you know, you, you, Siegel and Gail, you've been working with the brand for longer than I have, longer than Jennifer has. You know, you've been around for ages. Interesting how agencies can often play that role of. You know, and she was saying to say thank you to you, Howard, and thank you to you, Matt, and also to Anne Swan, who I know came up with the design, um, yeah. you know, and then right now we've been working with Lisa and Aaron and Anna Christina, you know, so there's there's just some incredible talent we've been able to partner with um, and to get it right and keep it evolving.
1: Yeah, it's been, it, it is amazing working with an icon like that. I I remember, you know, early in our tenure, actually walking into the garage where Bill and Dave first founded Hewlett Park, you know, Packard and, uh, you know, it was kind of a moving experience, you know, walking around yeah. that place. And, um, it's, it's very cool. Um, now you mentioned the logo and, um, you know, Siegel and Gail were known as the simplicity company, and we really embrace that. It's yeah. very nice to have an ethos that gives you a place to begin, you know, any problem that lands on your desk. So Matt, the element, the green rectangle, which is about as simple a mark as uh, anybody could ever possibly trademark. um, Think about that for a second. Tell us about that, Mark. What what does it mean?
2: Well, I'm going to share it on the screen for some of the audience members who maybe are are less familiar with with the work. Um, And, you know, this is um, HP and then Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And what Howard's referring to is the what we call the element, which is the very (laughs) hyper simple uh, Mark on top of the words Hewlett Packard Enterprise, um, and I guess to answer that question, Howard, I'd probably start with the the brand strategy and the the promise that we developed uh, at, at launch for HPE, um, and it was, and you know, I think right away we realized we couldn't tie, you know, the future brand to any specific technology or even any emerging technology trend. That it had to be defined in a way that was more universal, more enduring, and really what you know, HP's legacy strength was in the enterprise space was about, about the deep partnerships with its customers um, and its focus on customer success. And we wanted the brand to express that. So the, the promise at launch was together, partnership, we propel your business further, faster. So it was all about business outcomes, um, helping clients succeed and helping them really, um, you know, get value out of their technology investments um, quickly. Uh, and faster than they might through other partners. And so that was just a foundation. And really what the element was about was about showing in the, the name, it was about showing um, how that element could be an ingredient in customer success. So if you look at a lot of the launch communications, it's a really clear sim- simple symbol for Hewlett Packard Enterprise. But where it's really powerful is the way it integrates in customer environments and the way that a small rectangle can be shown Um, you know, in customer environments, in digital environments, in technology environments as an ingredient to success. So it always is kind of shown with an outcome. Um, I'll also say, you know, between us and, uh, whoever's listening, I mean, people thought we were crazy at the time because it's, it's a rectangle. It was radically simple. When this was shared initially with HP employees, people just said, well, we're going to get raked over the coals for this. This is insane. You know, <laughs> it's crazy. Um, when you just look at the logo by itself, but what's exciting is about, you know, how this, as we all know in this business, how the system can really support and bring the identity to life. So, um, this is just some work that we had previously launched for HP just for context at, at the launch. And this is a just one. This is a handful of very, very early expressions of the brand and, um, you know, we were very focused on on bringing HPE employees into the fold, building the brand from the inside out and really showing how, um, you know, HPE and the element was an ingredient to customer success. So, you know, really simple idea, radically simple idea. And ultimately, it's one that the design community loves and still talking about. I mean, it was so simple that um, it's gotten quite a bit of uh, pop positive um, uh, uh, commentary and over time, also say there's been a ton of work done, you know, over the successive seven years. And this is just uh, again, a very small snapshot of, of some of the work that Rachel has, has led in, you know, bringing the brand to life in a 2022, 20, 23 context and really supporting the launch of, uh, HPE GreenLake. Um, Rachel, I, I suppose it'd be interesting to hear you talk a little bit about maybe how the promise and the strategy and the thinking has evolved for HPE and, and how you're pushing the identity further.
3: Yeah, so we—I mean, your work was amazing. I do think it's funny, though. Just for the record, it's really hard to trademark a rectangle. <laughs> yes. Um. So thanks for that. We're continually, but anyway, we—I think we've nailed it. Um, we were,
2: we, yeah. That's that was it. That was we have that one framed on a wall somewhere because uh, it was not an easy feat, and no. others others have had difficulty registering much more uh, complex marks. So that was we've, we've
1: had sure. some success in that. For CVS Health, we actually trademarked a heart. I mean, talk about ubiquitous uh, symbols. So there's a there's a craft and a science to making that happen, Rachel.
3: Oh my god, there's so is Yeah. I mean, it's wonderful hearing you talk about the brand as it was at its sort of inception. Um we did a massive piece of work at the end of 21 to look at what made us um authentic, relevant, and differentiated um especially sort of in the midst of the sort of covid and then uh you know this war this global pandemic there's so many things going on and we really sort of nailed down quite succinctly what the brand now stands for so with the purpose of opening up of um advancing the way we live and work we think that you would choose uh, hpe because we can help you open up the opportunities to do that Um, And then the what we offer is edge to cloud. And then we are bridged between what the market needs and our amazing culture and our culture blueprint um, to really figure out that essentially what that comes down to is is us being positive and enterprising, you know, to give that spirit into our name and also really empathetic and bold. And so we've sort of crystallized that as being how we bring the brand out into the market and make that connection and then we really did some work on how we wanted to look feel and sound because the identity was fantastic but it almost was missing things still you know how you you sort of you you launch a brand and then as it starts rolling out you have to kind of feed it and nurture it
1: absolutely there it's never done
3: never done so we added um i mean i don't know it's sort of a, a weird me approach to things but um we looked at what distinctive brand assets we needed and then we turned them into ingredients and we provided recipes so rather than doing lots of brand guidelines it's sort of you can take these things and bake your cake you know another day you could use a different set of ingredients and so on but it all looks like us but it's all about put yourself in the mind of the buyer it's all about us helping them feel optimistic that they can be bold that will embrace their perspectives that this is quite dynamic and that, you know, that opening up opportunities and what the element offers is that ability to sort of say, we can open that world, we can help you find what you're looking for. And then really to bring some humanity in because we were struggling with differentiation on our photography um, and just how we could use the colours. You can see there the sort of gradients, just how to use the colours in a way that actually made us really... Um vibrant and 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 kind of modern um, and fresh. So yeah, it's been it's been a lovely evolution uh, really over the last year.
1: Yeah, that's fabulous. You know, I, I for me what you're describing is sort of a principles-based brand governance system, which is the very, very best kind. I remember when we created the sort of brand asset center and we called it the HP Experience, and within 120 days you're not going to believe this 300,000 registered users, you know, so it's, uh, and, and it was all about principles based brand governance, but you know, one of the things you, you mentioned there was culture just now, Rachel. So I like to pivot to Jennifer, um, Jennifer, you know, you and, and your organization have invested heavily in people and culture. And as much as any other industry, technology is a people business. It's a talent business. Tell us about the you know the importance of culture and some of the uh, really meaningful internal branding initiatives at HPE that you've been involved with.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And and thank you so much for having us today because as Rachel said, it it has been such an honor to come in sort of the second chapter of the the birth of this brand and Uh, One of the things that attracted me, frankly, to this brand and to this company was Antonio Neri, as he took the reins as the newly appointed CEO from Meg Whitman, immediately recognized the need to invest in culture to be able to propel this brand and this company forward. I think he recognized rightfully so that the company had been through a lot of change, um, the splits and the spins as, as Well uh, executed as they were, were absolutely the right path for the company. But that, you know, that can take a toll on on a culture of people wondering what's next for me, where do I see myself in the future of this company, what work will I do? Scary, right? Yeah, it can be a little intimidating, a little scary. And so for Antonio to say. I'm the new CEO, and my very first priority is culture, and I want to make sure that people can see themselves in this future. And he had such a a wonderful story himself. He had started in the call center 25 years prior, so he really grew up at this company. He was the first technologist to run the company since before Carly Fiorina. I mean, some amazing People in the immediate, um, uh, you know, right before him, but much more classic operators, you know, different backgrounds. And so for him to to be this technology minded, engineer minded, I mean, that was very intentionally part of what went into his appointment. And I know I know Meg felt really strongly that sort of returning the company to that technology roots uh, was important. So from a culture perspective, the thing that I loved was that. He knew, and not all all leaders appreciate this, he knew that a brand can't just be the way customers sort of have an expectation of us. A brand actually has to be the experience when everybody shows up every day, (laughs) that that brand value proposition is actually being met by the real experience and that, you know, customers and partners benefit when team members feel really beholden to that brand and loyal, um, et cetera. So... For us, the, the internal branding and the internal rally and the blueprint for our beliefs and our behaviors was very much intertwined with our external, you know, brand value proposition. And the, some of the very first work I did when I joined him was to just take stock on what people were feeling and and how it felt to be a team member here. And we did a bunch of focus groups and uh, polling of our team members. We looked at the data from our all uh, team member meetings and from all of our voice of the workforce scores. And then we did some new research in parallel, by the way, to the external research that the marketing and the comms teams were looking at, but internally specifically, there was actually this really cool moment where we took the voices of all of our team members we put them into headsets um, and had our executive leadership team listen to how people felt about being culap enterprise that. um yeah. team members and it, you know the the good and the not so good there were some amazing things that that came out about what people, um, the value they felt in working for this 80-year storied brand and the innovation that had come. But then there were also this sort of fear and trepidation, you know, this I want to make sure that I'm encouraged to take risks. I want to make sure that I can be bold. I want to make sure I work for a company that's accelerating what comes next, not just living in the here and now. And so out of all of that, came our culture blueprint. And it was those very things. We believe in bold moves. We believe in accelerating what's next. We believe in the power of yes, we can. We believe in being a force for good. And those all came From words, you know, directly told us, but from the team members who were experiencing what it felt like to work here. Mm -hmm. And so with Antonio's huge blessing, heavily involved and engagement in uh, running around our global network and espousing these uh, beliefs, We could then start translating them into actual behavior expectations as well. So, you know, putting the customer first, uh, being curious, relentlessly curious, um, you know, were all kinds of things that came out of these are the expectations we have, fail fast and learn. So taking the risk is an expectation. So the blueprint became both the set of beliefs, the values no, that so we have.
1: Jennifer, was it? Is it a? Is a doc? There's a blueprint. It's a doc.
4: It's a document, but what's so great about it is it starts as a as a document so that everybody can see the words on the page, but then it really becomes. Um, How we how we question each other in meetings, the language, the vernacular that we're using when we're asking questions about whether we're being too slow or rigid in our ways. Can we throw back some of those behavioral expectations in actual real time meetings? We papered the expression of it was was endless. We papered all of our elevators in it. So when you walked into an elevator, you would see all of our beliefs and a behavior behaviors. When you turned on your your computers every day, you would see them running across our um, team member portal. So, it was just a way to really feel like I'm living this every day. It's the experience I have. It's a mix of being aspirational. There were some things in it that we weren't quite doing perfectly, but we wanted to be doing. So, it was a mix of being aspirational as well as being how it really felt to work here. So, I, you know that was one of the things that attracted me to this company was a, a he had me at Hello when he said, I, you know, your first order of business is to make sure our team members really feel like this is a place for them and they can thrive and and that will be the extenuation of our brand because they'll go into the market and they'll they'll convert um, our customers and partners into believers.
1: That's phenomenal. And, and it's it sounds to me like there was a pretty close partnership with the talent organization, but I want to come to that a little bit later. The other thing that occurs to me is like what you're really talking about is brand-led change mm. know, within the organization. So I don't know. Can you just share a couple of thoughts of, you know, from your perspective, how do culture and brand relate at HPE?
4: Well, I think in some ways they're they're um, completely integrated. I mean, obviously, I think both of them have elements of aspirations. And like I said before, there are elements of our brand and of our team member experience that are aspirational. But really, at the end of the day, it should be the promise that we make to each other in service of our stakeholders. Um, and I, you know, I think the, in many ways, the pandemic was actually a showcase of that external brand proposition and our internal team member experience because to rally around helping our customers and helping each other through such a difficult time showed how symbiotic external brand and internal team member engagement is i mean we had we had really beautiful displays of it, things like turning a floating ferry boat in Italy in the height of the pandemic into a hospital that could serve 400 people um, in the height of their wave of experiencing COVID. Like that to me is the promise of the brand. That's actually our technology edge to cloud <laughs> in service of helping a societal need. And it's also our team member expression of you know, we believe in being a force for good. So we're gonna spot a need, we're gonna use our technology and our capability to service that. So I think the two uh, culture and brand are are entirely harmonious.
1: Yeah, I remember you and I talking, you know, monthly or so during the pandemic. And I remember how hard you and your team were working to figure out how can this company step up in a way that's right for us, that's gonna impact the world and, and leverage our strengths in really meaningful ways for a world in pain, really, right?
4: Absolutely. You went yeah.
1: local, right? You 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 really looked at where you were in the world and said, "Let's go." I, I remember that as part of your thinking, no?
4: If absolutely, I mean, it, and and what was so great about that moment? I mean, it was a, a a terrifying, horrible global moment. But what was great about it from a brand authenticity and culture display was that we didn't try to be something that we. We weren't, and we didn't try to just crowd the airwaves with expressions of of hopes and prayers. I mean, it, you know, it was like we we kind of had a philosophy, either be helpful or be quiet. Um, but if we could be helpful, then we were going to rise to the occasion and use our our technology and our um, expertise. In service of a, of a need. And so I thought that was a really nice reminder that we don't have to be all things to everybody and we don't have to wade into places where there are others who are better equipped to address that need. But when we can sign up for something that is uniquely, distinctively HPE, then not only does that that help you know a a real need but it feels really good (laughs) because then you can you can look at that and say wow we were the only ones that could do that um and we were able to do it
1: yeah that's amazing so that's a phenomenal inside you know brand story Um, let's go outside for a sec um rachel today when, when when you know you think about big picture you know continuing to build the hpe brand what are some of the big challenges that you're tackling?
3: I'll try and do this in like an hour or less. No. Um, so we are, we have, the business strategy has moved into really being about providing everything as a service in a hybrid cloud market with our kind of unique um, approach, which is edge to cloud. And so we went back to the market to really to do a proper kind of comprehensive, data-driven, really good diagnosis. Um, And what we understood was that, you know, our buyers are essentially wise adopters. They are people who, when the cloud market came, they moved to public cloud, they added public cloud or they hesitated about it but what's happened over the last decade is that the market's really shifted and now what everybody wants is hybrid cloud, which you know Antonio mm. called <laughs> a while ago. Um, so it's all about um, us being, uh, people being aware that we are a choice in that market and building up that um, unprompted awareness of us, um, that kind of being easy to mind of HPE, being able to help you complete your hybrid cloud um, and really to understand what that edge to cloud offering is. And um, there's about 11 category entry points um, and there's four or five we want to be really associated with. So we're doing work to make sure that those associations are there. Um, And it's, I mean, if I put it very simply, it's about really being easy to mind with buyers and they come into that buying situation, which happens about every five years. So there's a lot of engagement when they're not in market so that when they come into market, they think of us for those needs. Um, But also then there's work going on to make us easier to buy. So to really try and make it uh, the the portfolio more navigable, to use language that is more descriptive so that you can actually tell what things is easier and almost to go to sort of dial back on how much we rely on uh, product and service brands and sort of dial up the actual offering itself and what it can do to solve your problems. so yeah that's that's the that's the work we've got going on now,
1: yeah um, that's phenomenal remind you know i I recently read a study that's that showed in the b two b world um ninety five percent of the customer base at any one time is not in the market to buy only five yeah. percent is so all this work all this lifting you're doing is preparing that ninety five percent for when yeah. they do enter buy mode that they are thinking about you so you know do you see um any clear links between brand and demand that you, you know, yeah. that, that you could comment on?
3: Yeah, actually, um, Jim still tells the story. I've got a feeling it's just going to be an eternal story, but the wonderful Jim Jackson <laughs> um, and actually Jennifer interviewed me too for my job Um one of the things that Jim asked me is, what is the role of a brand? And mm. my answer was, you know, brand's job is to drive demand, to drive revenue. And that I was really excited to take on a job where that would be the philosophy, but I'm not very good at building brands that don't, that are kind of disconnected from the actual work of finding answers to those customers' problems, making sure they've got what they need and it's actually working. So um, everything we do now is is brand to demand. There's no separate brand and demand gen mm-hmm. campaigns. It's all integrated. Um, it's all about, you know, if you think about the numbers game, right, as you said, if, there's, if they're in market about every five years, um, what you end up thinking to yourself is there's just a few percentage in any quarter in market shopping. And if you only have a very low percentage of awareness, then you've really cut the possibility down you're in, that's,
1: you're in a lot of trouble if that's the case right
3: yeah and that's exactly it and that's brand's job is almost to warm up the room so that it's right. a shortcut to a decision that this is the right brand mm-hmm. and so you know we've integrated all the marketing we're driving it's very singular now around those category entry points and around really positioning us in the hybrid cloud market Um, it's always on because the the thing is is that the brand has got to do its job while everybody's asleep. <laughs> and also, um, the more tactics you use, the, the harder each tactic works. So the more you integrate the tactics, the better performing everything is. But that's, that's the only way we do things now.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That, that, that makes so much sense to me. You know, another thing that's really interesting to look at is this the HPE GreenLake brand. Um, and, and I've seen that um, a lot of smart companies say, look, let's create a platform brand that springs right out of the, the parent code brand, but allows us to dimensionalize about a lot of our strengths and te- technologies, how they fit together and things like that. Was that part of the thinking with making such a big and visible play with GreenLake?
3: All right. I'm going to correct you on behalf of all my wonderful HP. Ready? But it's. It's HPE GreenLake to you, sir. And I'll tell you, you why. This has been fascinating. And it goes back to your first questions about what's, you know, the HP and the HPE and, and you know, what's that worth keeping?
1: I just think I slurred my words. Yeah. I think I said HPE GreenLake. I just think I slurred a little bit.
4: Yeah,
3: there. Yeah, there you go. The HPE brings that feeling of I can trust you, you're reliable, you're not going to go out of business, I'm not going to get fired for choosing you, you've known what you're doing for 80 years, oh my goodness, you know, you're somebody I can look at. When you combine that with the Green Lake value proposition to make HPE GreenLake, it's extraordinary. I mean, I've tested this three times now, what you get is 81% of buyers saying they would consider it. Right. Mm-hmm. In fact, the other two numbers are higher. So I just go to the lowest one um, so I don't get caught out. But it's um, it's quite astonishing. So what we discovered when we discovered that about a year ago, what we realized was that it would be an energizer brand for HPE, because if you're an 80 year old brand, you have to find a way to demand reconsideration amongst those who know you and to demand consideration amongst those who don't. And what HPE GreenLake does is it makes people do a double take because they're like, that's an interesting value proposition. I didn't know that about HPE. And Then they recalibrate what they know about you. So we're leading with HPE GreenLake for everything we market to buyers, everything. Yep. Um. And then we use it to basically pull through the portfolio by helping people find the answer to what they're looking for, whether they're looking by category entry point or just for a type of technology or to solve a particular use case or, you know, by, but it doesn't really matter. So it's it's almost like, you know. Get out there and woo with HPE Greenlake and then show that no matter what you need, we have a solution that will work for you the way you need. And that goes back to the culture work. Right. Because the thing about the culture is in the voice of the workforce is just incredible results um, around um, the people of the company saying, you know, I have the flexibility to manage my work, my personal life, a diverse pa- uh, background succeed here. Diverse perspectives are valued. You know, I'm encouraged to be myself at work. That's so important to a wise adopter who wants their business to be taken seriously as being unique in its own unique situation with all the legacy tech that person inherited um, to really be able to find what's right for them. And so there's a beautiful marriage between the the strength and the culture that inherent strength and the culture that's been built up that jennifer was talking about with customers wanting to be treated as as unique um special you know finding the right thing for them and so it's not a kind of cookie cutter exercise and that that is honestly part of the beauty of the authenticity of the brand is that connection
1: yeah it's phenomenal you know matt i want to just before we move to the next topic you know, when you think about something, a platform brand like that in this, in a brand architecture schema, is that something that could be relevant for, you know, a, a number of people in our audience today? Or is that a tech only, um, you know, strategy? What, what do you think about that?
2: No, I think it's something that we've explored with a number of our clients. And, and you know, it's a, a strategy that's been deployed with a lot of success. In some cases, it's also a strategy that can sometimes can be challenged in the marketplace. If, if that Energizer brand isn't truly connected to those points of entry, to the product, to, to a, a true, a, a true saleable object, if, if, if you will. And I think hearing, uh, Rachel, hearing you talk about kind of how useful, um, HPE GreenLake has been to the, your organization. It's helpful to kind of bring some of those criteria to life in a way about, about how a platform brand can be successful and what some of those, those sort of imperatives are.
1: Yeah. It's uh, that's great. Um. So we we talked, um, Jennifer, about sort of as you were laying the foundation for the culture. Let Let's talk about it today. Um. What What does it feel like for employees today to work at HPE?
4: Yeah. I, absolutely. I'll I'll tackle that in a sec. But I just want to take the chance to bridge off of a couple of things that Rachel sure. and sure. and Matt were saying on on external brand, because I actually do think this plays a role in what it feels like today as a team member. But part of the, the thing I'm so proud about that HPE is now doing what we want it to do in front of GreenLake because it's so meaningful to people. And that wasn't necessarily the case you know, four or five years ago when there was still a lot of ambiguity and confusion about I think I knew they split, but I don't know what went to HP and I don't know what went to HPE and the sort of lack of appreciation for what the innovation halo of the new Hewlett Packard Enterprise would be. Um, so I think w- one of the things I love about the fact that now HPE has to be in front of GreenLake, you know, the way that Rachel described, is because we know it's working for us. We know that that's actually accruing to favorability and identity and a appreciation for the brand. And that just shows that the clarity of communicating who we are, what we stand for, what the world would lose if it lost HPE is now actually working. Um, And so putting that in front of GreenLake is helpful. So, but what I what I think that means for culture is that people do have this sense of pride of you, you know if brand is this aspirational vision of who the company is and what it stands for, culture ensures that we're living up to that brand. And so, I think people do have this invigorated sense of innovation. It's happening here, um, and they can see and feel it. it there's an, a, a very much encouragement around innovating, best ideas. Um, you know, the hiring of a of a true chief technology officer, um, Fidalma Russo joined us a year and a half ago and has just really sort of lit up the you know the r and d roadmap of the company working across all of our business units with our business leaders. So I think what it feels like is there's this new renewed appreciation for inventing and innovating. There's also this feeling that 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 everyone here is appreciated, valued encouraged to be their, their whole selves at work Our, um, you know, the, the team member experience investments we've made in benefits and wellness and in how people actually show up and have access to tools and resources and support um, is, is really top notch. I've seen nothing like it, to be honest so you've got that innovation halo you've got the workplace experience ha- halo and then you've got this force for good halo this commitment to using our technologies what you know we talked about it and showing up in full force in, in the pandemic but that happens every day too it doesn't take a major calamity for us to finding where find places where our technology and our in, in innovation can help propel a societal um, need forward. So I, I think it feels really great to work here today. And I, I don't think that that was a foregone conclusion that it would just happen through osmosis. So I, so I think the level of intentional dedication to that feeling, and especially in a post-pandemic world of that hybrid way of doing work and connecting and collaborating and coming together and sharing experiences, I think all of that is really working. We we actually have favorability among our team members and a feeling of of um, empowerment and engagement that that's higher than it's been in ten years. So to live through everything we've put people through and in sort of the global uncertainty and to come out on the other side with the highest engagement we've we've really ever witnessed is a pretty big deal. Wow!
1: Yeah, I I know you're thinking about how you know HP engages with customers and and external stakeholders every single day Jennifer so when you think about how this culture is leveraged you know with the customer experience with market impact any you know anything you can share with with folks today
4: yeah, well, we we actually just fielded some research that was really a great reminder. Um, we talked to IT decision makers and and business elites, so the C suite that might not have direct buying authority, but who influences that you know that buyer audience, and we were you know very s- starkly reminded that. Um, reputation and brand is very much synonymous with the feeling that you treat your team members well and that you're investing in their experience, in pay equity, et cetera. So I think a lot of um, what what that just reminded us is that it's not just the right thing to do to motivate team members and to keep them and to attract talent, but it's also the customer expectation and the outside expectation that they want to do business with people who are taking care of their team members. And again, I don't think it's just because they want to do business with someone who's being nice to to their team members. It's also because that's what's going to incite innovation. That's what's going to set a high bar. So our team members who are happy and fulfilled and engaged are going to actually rise to the occasion and be a performance culture. So we talk a lot about migrating from, you know, we're a nice culture, a polite culture, a kind culture, an inclusive culture, and all of those things are working for us to really become a performance culture as well. Because if people feel Included and they can do their best work, and they're um, they have great benefits, and they have access to this wonderful experience. Then they're going to pick up the pace and really start innovating in a way that our customers expect. So I, all of that, I think, has huge business outcomes. Is business driven, and it also makes it a really fun place to be.
1: Fantastic. You know, here's a question, Rachel, for you or, or Jennifer. Um, To really bring a brand to life the way that you are describing, you both are describing today, it takes the whole organization. It takes every functional area. So, um, Rachel, are there ways that you partner with the talent organization? We've talked so much about people, you know, keeping the promises that the brand makes. Are there programs or initiatives or culture ambassadors or brand about, you know, how how do you engage with that group? Because it seems to me that the efforts are, you know closely linked
3: yeah i mean just specifically with talent and hr um i think what's fantastic is that because we've got a very strong brand strategy now um that we really are able to then build off of that what the value proposition actually is for employees mm-hmm. um and that is about saying well if this is who we are and what we stand for and what we offer then how can we be a compelling place for you to build your career And it's built off the sense of who we are and that we know this to be true Um, rather than being like, oh, we need an employer brand. Let's make something up, you know, which um, (laughs) I'm not going to say that that's happened in my career, but uh, it has. Um, So it's something really strong there. But I I think the thing that is that, that, you know, Jennifer's been scratching at, which it's really important, is that you don't brand is not something that a few people own you know reputation is not something a few people own and then you sort of ta da you know um we have to work really hard with our colleagues within you know product management and in the technology teams and in the business units and in the functions and in mm. you know we have to work really really hard to make sure that everybody's super clear on what we're trying to do and why and how they can be involved in making it happen because it's not just the evangelizing the reputation of the business externally it's also how you take decisions as Jennifer was saying earlier like how do you take decisions when you are faced with them that are kind of on brand decisions right um and that's really hard work and i you know my philosophy on that is that actually the brand team is always relatively small you know comms teams always relatively small right because actually what you have the only way to be successful is to mobilize the business and so it becomes part of everybody's so a lot of that is about stripping brands speak out being really singular really purposeful Mm -hmm. you know calling people on it when they drop the hpe you know all that kind (laughs) of stuff um so, you know, the the level of partnership across the business is extraordinary. And even on a bad day when you're arguing, you know, you argue and commit. And that is just that there's, there's a lot of joy in working with so many people in, you know, 42 countries to actually really help the experience for every stakeholder be the one that is actually desired. And um, so, yeah, we just really focused on getting consistency and then freshness, you know, just to Really, 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 always show up as HPE on a good day.
1: Fabulous. Um, so why don't we why don't we take a couple of questions? Um, here, here's one. Um, it, it came up early about brand research. You know, were, was there anything you know kind of unique about the brand research that was conducted leading up to name identity positioning, Matt?
2: Sure, I can speak to that. I think um, in this case, we were very fortunate because we'd been working with, uh, I'll call it legacy HP for a number of years on some significant global brand initiatives. And so we actually had a data set, uh, business unit by business unit, uh, pretty much global uh, for IT decision makers and really what were the preference drivers uh, in the marketplace uh, from the ground up and really a pretty clear sense of how legacy HP performed uh, in in those different market spaces. So we had a sort of base uh, data set and a base level of analysis that was really effective for us. I think building on that and any separation or business deal where it gets really interesting is when you engage with executive leaders. I mean, a lot of our focus is around one-on-one discussions with people who are leading the business and would be leading this new company and understanding you know, beyond what's on paper, really what's the opportunity? What is the business vision? How can we connect? You know, technology opportunities to business opportunities and really weave a, an interesting story together. So that was really, I think, where a lot of the strategy came from. Um, I will say, just from a process point of view, we were able to partner with one of our partner companies, C-Space, and there had an IT decision maker panel. They were able to engage and kind of pull decision makers on an ongoing basis throughout um, our strategy development process, which was really useful. So we had our kind of range of concepts and were able to share them and get really kind of forty-eight hour feedback on on work from a you know vetted, um, interested you know source of of, of individuals. And then, of course, we did validation research as, you know, like any any initiative with employees and with um, decision makers um, to just make sure that we were hitting the mark and that, uh, you know, our creative outputs and expressions were doing what we had intended.
1: Nice. That's great. I, I, here's a good one. Um, Rachel, um, someone would like to hear a little bit about how you use brand ingredients rather than a brand guide as you communicate that brand purpose internally.
3: Yes, yeah, so I think I made this up so i'm just waiting for somebody better than me at brand strategy to catch me (laughs) out um essentially what we worked out was you need something graphical and that was really the element um and that we need to use we we actually tested we run about i don't know 15 different pieces of research a year now as clockwork and um we ran a piece of research that was inspired by um the work on the distinctive brand assets that's come out of jenny's team out in australia and and then um, the we discovered that the element was neither famous nor unique it sort of had a like a one percent recognition so we basically regrouped and said we're just going to use it green we're going to stop playing with it we're going to use it green we're going to just keep using it keep using it until it gets that recall and then we added to that three different photography styles so a reportage style a portraits on color style Um, And a layering style where there's an image with a contextual image behind it, almost of what that person is seeing or experiencing. Um, And we only use that photography now. We have data textures which have meaning, so we have something that we can use when people aren't appropriate. Um, We did four colour gradients out of the the colours we had to just get it to be a bit more zingy and a bit more fresh. but basically, the way we have it is that we've got a set of ingredients. Some of them you have to use and the rest you can just sort of pick from to bake with. And then we have suggested recipes, you know, where we've basically we've combined things and gone, oh, that looks great. So here's a recipe. Here's how it would look. But essentially, people are free to take the fixed elements and play with the mix, the, the rest of the elements and just pull them all together. So it's less about defining what each thing should look like. Are more about teaching people how to know instinctively what is on brand and to use the recipe that's right for their channel, their message, their situation, the culture, et cetera. And it's amazing how consistently it looks on brand. Mm-hmm. but You get that freshness for the cut through because the problem with consistency is it can become like wallpaper, like vanilla. So you keep right. showing up in a sort of fresh way. And um, it seems to be working really well. And it meant we didn't have to write 10,000 pages of brand guidelines. So it's,
1: fabulous. it's continuity in over consistency in a sense. Okay, so look, yeah. we're, we're winding down a little bit. So let's ask the, a couple of closing questions to each of you guys. So Jennifer, if you were gonna advise a peer that's um, you know, embarking on a large change program like this, that's really, mm-hmm. Is going to bring about profound change to um, an organization. What What would you advise them? And let's Let's think about it in two ways, right? Immediate impact. Mm. short term impact, and then longer term foundation setting.
4: Mm. Well, it's a great question, and I I think in this conversation we have all really hearkened back to this notion of being really amazing listeners. I so I think my my biggest Point of feedback is that we have to constantly be assessing where we stand, um, addressing, you know, the different needs and, and expectations that are coming in, and then adapting. And I think what you've picked up in this whole conversation is that, yes, there should be continuity and consistency and legacy um, to make a brand really the, the stalwart brand that I believe ours is. But there also has to be Um, the willingness to evolve it and adapt it and modernize it and continually check it against relevance. And so I think my biggest epiphany through all of this is that it's okay to be resolute about where you stand and what your values are and what your beliefs are, but at the same time, be okay to adapt and amend and, and show the world That you're continually interested in being relevant. Um, So I think, I think if you think of all the brand failures there have ever been, it's been when they've been so rigid on we have always been this. So we're going to just be this. <laughs> and then they all of a sudden aren't relevant anymore. And so I think it doesn't mean throwing out your values. It doesn't mean not living up to what you believe. But I think that constant iteration and, you know, that, that assessment and that addressing things that comes from active listening and polling. And that's one of the things I've loved about partnering with Rachel is her insistence on data and a data-driven approach. And I think we've we've tried to do the same thing with our stakeholders. So, you you know, you ask short term, long term, but in my view, to get to the long term brand health and reputation health, that is the north star. You have to, in short term, constantly be listening and taking stock of where you stand and adjusting as needed.
1: Yeah, fabulous. And I would say it's it's more it's more than okay. Those sound like imperatives to me, Jennifer. <laughs> me really. Indeed, um, Rachel. Over to you, and you've got the benefit of having had a minute or two to think about it. So, yeah, thanks, someone, Um, you know who's embarking on this, how do they get their ducks in a row? And then, what's the a sort of a longer-term strategy for them to make sure they really bring about the change they want?
3: Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I've worked on about thirty brand repositionings in my career. It's all I've ever done, and. um I'm afraid my approach has become super simple.
1: <laughs> so, simple is smart. I've simple is same. very
3: good. Oh. And, uh, so so true. I think simplicity is amazing. I mean, it's, uh, yeah, I immediately thought of Edward de Bono there. But anyway, um, my my what well, my advice for myself back in the day, or for peers embarking on it now, would be just start at the beginning and work your way through. Most steps in the journey, you'll need a plan B because things always go wrong. I, I'm continually thinking of what my plan B will be just in case. Make sure you do a proper diagnosis. I mean, do the qual, do the quant, you know, do your segmentation, understand the buyer, work out what makes you relevant and different, authentic at each stage in the buying journey and then in the experience post-sale and really find that kind of uniqueness. Um I mean, I, this is sacrilegious to some, but I don't really do visions and missions and essence and pyramids and all that kind of stuff. Just if you can answer the what, why, how, who questions, then you've got a brand strategy. As long as it's really relevant and differentiated and authentic, then you have to keep doing the diagnosis ongoing, as Jennifer says, to keep picking up whether you are still relevant and differentiated and authentic, because I just think brands are things you have to feed they're constant, they're hungry and you have to feed them. They're not something you lock and and then and then kind of load. I mean, who knows what will be in three years? We have to keep reading the tea leaves to figure out where how things are going and what needs to change next. And it's that listening. It's that constant listening, you know, as Jennifer was saying about the voice of the workforce and really understanding where the culture is, you know, where the business strategy is, what the market wants, what the market's experiencing. Just keep listening and keep testing because. Your buyer, your, you know, or your talent will tell you the answer. Don't second guess what they're going to say. Um and just really aim for consistency, co- coherence, um, and that freshness. I think I think, you know, otherwise it's basically a to-do list of, you know, identify all the assets, work out what you need to change them to, get them to, you know, I, I think that it's more than that. It's really about making the company the best it can possibly be so that it can help Fabulous.
1: people. Yeah. So they're alive, the brands are alive. So that's great. Let's close there. Um, on on behalf of Siegel and Gale, thank everyone for joining us today. A special thank you, Jennifer, Rachel, Matt, for leading the discussion. It's very rich. Lots to to learn from. Uh, folks, you can listen to this conversation as well as past episodes by subscribing to the Siegel and Gale says podcast on Apple. Um, thank you. Jennifer, Rachel, Matt, you guys were amazing. So much to learn and uh, really, really grateful for your generosity in sharing it. Thank you.
3: Thanks for having us. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening. You can learn more about our work and read our thought leadership on SiegelGale.com. Subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen. While you're at it, leave us a review. See you next time.